Welcome to another episode of the NREA podcast. I am Jared Bigham, co-hosting with Dr. Alan Pratt, and we are very excited today to have United States Congressman Mike Bost from the 12th District of Illinois with us today. And this is going to be um, uh, a lively podcast because, you know, things move fast in Washington, and he's probably just stepping in a broom closet somewhere to call us. So, uh, Alan, let's let's get it rolling for him. Well, th- thanks again, uh, Congressman Boss, for being with us today. And uh, we've got a couple of questions we're going to start off with. Kind of tell us your um, about yourself and your connection to rural Southern Illinois to, to let our listeners right. know what you're about in Southern yeah. Illinois. And that's just it. A lot of your listeners, if they're not from Illinois, they don't realize how far out of Chicago I am. I'm about six hours out of Chicago, a little town called Murfreesboro, right near Southern Illinois University. Very rural district, uh, except for the area in the north that is the suburbs around St. Louis. But uh, I spent 20 years in the state legislature. First off, I was born and raised uh, right there where I represent. Uh, matter of fact, my family settled it when it was a territory, uh, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. My wife is from there. We've got uh, three children, 11 grandchildren that all, uh, you know, attend schools and are part of the community and, and everything there. Uh, but I did spend 20 years in the state legislature. Many of those years I was actually on the elementary and secondary education uh, committee as well as the higher education committee. And so the rural problems that exist in education, uh, whether it's funding streams, whether it's uh, uh, just a, a lack of, of the ability to, to maintain uh, teachers that, that can be paid at more in, in suburban areas and or uh, in inner cities, uh, it, you know, it's a constant battle. You, you, you hold on to the ones that love it there, but you've also got to try to encourage those that would come and be there and enjoy it there. Yeah, and, and um, you know, we always love people, uh, having people on that have rural roots and, and can give that perspective, especially in leadership positions like yours. And it seems, you know, education in general is always a hot topic, but I think with um, maybe the, the, the past presidential election where rural America felt like they were a little bit more engaged and they had a voice in uh, in that election and it it's highlighted rural America quite a bit more the past two or three years. And uh, so we know you're supporting the Rural Education Investment Act. Uh, why, why is that needed today? If you explain a little bit more about it and why you think with sure. the climate we're in, the, the, in that ecosystem around workforce development and every, all those other moving parts, how's this going to impact that? Well, first off, one of the most important things, uh, no matter where a student is, whether they're in an inner city or whether they're in the suburbs or whether they're in a rural area, access to, to teach high-quality teachers that have the background, not only the education, but also have mentorship that's available to them to make them, because everybody understands this with education. Education is one thing. But experience with that education is just vitally important. Right. And so when you bring in new teachers, the opportunity for, for those teachers to, to be mentored, but not, not like, you know, almost every, every school district in this nation or every, every, uh, every state in the nation has some form of, of uh, you know, we all had them, not substitute teachers, but, but the, the, the teachers that, that are in, going to college, and they come in, they get their, their training. But it, this does a longer reach 
to reach out and give the education necessary and gaining the experience necessary, uh, and that's why it's vitally important. Uh, you know, it, it, it's that that outcome that is needed. Like I said, you know, I, I can get my higher education mem- members from my more liberal universities upset sometimes because I will say that with, uh, knowledge is not wisdom, and they go, oh, no, it is. It is. No, no. no, no. Wisdom is not taking the knowledge you have and properly applying it. And this gives the opportunity for these teachers that work under this system to get that wisdom from other teachers where they can then instill in others as well. Yeah, well, I can completely relate because in my 20s, I thought I was the wisest person in my community, (laughs) and it was through a lot of trial and error I learned that. My my first elected office was a county board seat, and I was 23 years old, and I wish I'd written down all the stuff that I thought I knew. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> and and I know Alan's got a a couple questions here for you about yeah. you know how we can change the landscape and and this before he dives into that I, I I'm a fourth generation rural educator. My family, you know, I I was the um, principal where my dad was principal and where my grandmother had been a teacher and my great grandmother been one room schoolhouse teacher, and so I get that you know, the need for mentorship and, uh, I mean, man, we were almost like the education mafia, but if coming out of, of, uh, college with my degree, you're right. I had that knowledge and it was invaluable coming into a community where I, I was fortunate enough to have some of that mentorship just within my family. And so I can't imagine, you know, just, we just throw, these new teachers to the wolves sometimes, and especially these economically depressed regions and rural communities. So, sure. uh, Alan, get, I know you want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think, uh, number one, I think you know, I see this as an opportunity to attract teachers that are not maybe from those rural areas mm-hmm. to the rural areas to mm-hmm. teach. Sure. And I think that's, I see that as the positive. But the biggest thing for us and why NREA supported uh, your your efforts and, and was really wholeheartedly endorse it was the fact that the flexibility at the the LEA or the local uh, education agency the flexibility there so I know that played into your thoughts but it, uh, it did yeah it, uh, talk it about did. that a little bit well let, let me just say if you if you were raised in and are come from a rural area you understand where it is that urban and suburban schools have an advantage quite often financially. Right. You know, right. I, and, and not all states are like ours, but the state of Illinois funds its education systems by property tax. Yeah. Now, that was real good back when everything was equal, but unfortunately over the years in the state of Illinois, our downstate schools, even though we have what's known as a, a school aid formula, which is an equalization formula that's in place, it still ends up that these rural schools, you know, where it's nothing for them to be in a situation where maybe they don't have the T1 internet lines. Maybe they don't have access to, to uh, certain uh, technology that, that is, is an advantage. But it's similar with these teachers' programs. But like you said, I, you know, when, when you can make the investment, now, and here's what the, what the bill does, but, but when you can make the investment, to encourage those teachers, like you said, that maybe aren't from rural areas, to come in. Now, the problem is, is that the way the the uh, the existing grants are set up, there was no stabilization for that 
to find to say that yes, rules should get the percentage based on the amount of students that are there. So they were just kind of being thrown out there willy nilly. And the legislation does this in the fact that for the percentage of the students that are there, it's calculated on that percentage. And that's why these grants would then come to the rural districts and then allow for that mentorship. And, and I know it's, it's, this is popular and I don't see anyone not supporting this, but if you had pretty good success across the aisle on finding co-sponsors and or help and support? Yeah, actually, to tell you the truth, it, that we have um, a, a bipartisan group, uh, uh, Representative uh, Abby uh, Finkenauer, yeah, Abby Finkenauer uh, out of Iowa. Uh, is, it, so we've got bipartisan support. Uh, so far, there's a t- total of 13 co-sponsors. We're getting more, you know, we'll have, we'll have a lot more than that before it's all said and done. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not something that, that if you have a suburban district or an inner city district that, that you're going to jump on board with, but you've got to look about how many members we have spread out around this country that are in those areas where they either have part or all of their districts that are rural areas. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, we got a, a state like Tennessee where – um, NREA is headquartered, you've got the power actually lies in the rural legislators. I mean, you, it, the big cities have, metro areas have, you know, several uh, legislatures that they send to Nashville, yeah. but but two-thirds of the state is rural. So it, it, that's, right. that's where the votes are. And, and, so, and, and you know, when you, when, when you put it in perspective, but when I went, when I ran for state legislature in the state of Illinois, there was a gal who became a, she's passed now, but she became a great friend of mine that was in my class. And I, she asked me where my district was. And I said, it's three counties, Jackson, Perry, and Union counties in Southern Illinois. And I said, where's yours? She said, it goes from 67th Avenue over to 47th Avenue. And from such, <laughs> and I looked at her and she looked at me and says, but mine's real tall. So, you know, it's a case where we represent different areas, but the thing is, working together, I know that right now when you're looking at Congress, you don't think we ever work together, but it is, I've I've got a record of being one of the most bipartisan when it comes to uh, uh, the ratings as far as getting people on board with legislation. It has a lot to do with the fact that I carry a lot of legislation that is truly something that both parties can can agree to, and this is just, this, this falls right in that category. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, and and I think I think the number one thing is you know you're looking at obviously helping your home district, but also you see the big picture. And I know through your conversation with Dave Ardry, he's the director of the Rural Association in Illinois, uh, and we have to thank Dave for setting this up for us too. But uh, I know that's the kind of the, you see the big picture as well on that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of- Dave Dave's been a big supporter of. of, of he he's grown up. He grew up originally in in rural Missouri, but now he's over, and, and we claim him as deep southern Illinois and now. So uh, uh, he he understands this situation, and and uh, him helping us out with this is wonderful. It's been good. You know, Congressman, I, I was going to say we could uh, claim you in Tennessee if we wanted to, because we've got a Jackson County, Perry County, Union County, and we've also got a Murfreesboro. <laughs> yeah. So well, that, well, that, that's because the people that settled our area when it was a territory moved up. I think right through there, to tell you the truth. <laughs> there you go. Well. I, you, <laughs> Alan mentioned big picture and, and something that we have been discussing in NREA for several years is looking at the federal level since, since rural education is so nuanced and it seems like we've got everybody and his brother in an office of urban education, 
but we don't have a dedicated office of rural education at the federal level. And that's something that we have really been in conversations with in multiple secretaries of education through the past uh, 10 or 12 years. And what's your thoughts on having a dedicated office of rural education at the federal level? I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, you know, because here's the problem. First off, out of Washington, though I believe that education is a local issue and should be controlled by the state and the locals, but when we, we've got the Department of Education, and so many times the Federal Department of Education, whether it's under Republicans or whether it's under Democrats, come up with a cookie-cutter type program for educating our children that might work great in New York City, but doesn't work at all in deep Southern Illinois. And so right. by forming that, and by having that advisory board and that group here available so that automatically when they start moving through with any of the legislation, they could have the input necessary to go, no, 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 let us explain why, you know, that all sounds good right. if you've got this level of technology, but you do understand that we're lucky to get a cell phone reception right. at our school. And, and, so. and when you talk about cookie cutter, when you have urban, and I've worked in, in urban settings uh, on a lot of policy initiatives and, and education uh, programs, but somewhat all the urban areas, whether it's Los Angeles, New York, or Nashville, you can overlay a cookie cutter program because the urban issues and urban environments and landscapes are 90% the same. But yeah, yeah. In, in rural America, man, like even uh, you can take Tennessee, we've got three or four very distinct uh, geographic areas that are considered rural that all have different issues they're dealing with and different, you know, literally geographic areas. And rural can be defined so many different ways from Montana with one-room schoolhouses to, you know, farming areas in, in Illinois, obviously. So uh, you're right, that, that is definitely an issue about uh, the differences in rural America. An, an example of that is last year after one of the school shootings, we finally compiled our school safety legislation, and I had a couple bills in there. But with that was the school safety grants. Well, the schools that applied for it in my district, they could set their own request for what they wanted. Well, some of them wanted a secure lock. Some of them wanted this. I had one school that wanted a cell tower near their school so they could actually call the emergency services. Right. Wow. See, that, that's, that's the type of stuff, you know, is so unique that, yeah, there, well, there is a, there's a quality of education you want. Yes, that works. You know, I mean, what you're wanting to do, your achievement of what you're wanting to educate and how you're wanting to educate your children is the same no matter where your children are. But the way you achieve the goals that are the common goals have to be a different process. Yeah, and, and, and you're right about just the advisory component when somebody has a, maybe a very well-intentioned program. I mean, I, this is a great example. There was a company, I won't, say, I won't say who, but a major cell phone company that granted some iPads to a rural school district with data plans so they could go home and work on projects on the Internet uh, when they left school without realizing that a third of those students had no cell phone yeah, reception. Know. So it was just, you know, it was a, a, a piece of metal, you know. To, right. So. right. 
And, and you know, I mean, it, it, and, and that, that, is a, that is a real problem, not only in education, but everything else, because remember, I also work on the agricultural committee and we got places that they got those big fancy computers that'll plant every seed for you and fertilize it and know everything about it. And they'll only work if they're connected. And exactly. sometimes they're, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just got a big expensive piece of equipment with no way to use it. Well, we thank you for time. I want to ask one final question, cause, and, um, and you got to really lock in for this. It's always my back pocket question, and I'm going to add the caveat because right. I've been burned on this and I've learned. So um, you're Harry Potter for a day, and you've got a magic wand that you can wave to change one thing in rural America. And you can't wave it for more Magic, because that's where I got burned. No, more, no, only one wave of the wand, Congressman. So if you could okay. do something to support rural America, rural education, what would you do with your wave of the wand? I'd have to focus on improving the the, the education in D.C. so there's no more, so that so that they're they're paying attention more to the rural areas. Oh well, uh, yeah. Because that 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 is what we've talked about the whole time, but that's just it. We've got to get them woken woken up to the fact that rule is different. Oh, I like that. You hit a home run on that one. Good job on that. Good that's wave great, of the wand. Good wave Harry, of the wand. Good wave of the wand. <laughs> hey, we also want to you know anything you need from us, support far as uh, pushing items out. Uh, let us know, and happy to uh, to reach out to other states to get their folks involved in uh, supporting what's going on. Well, I appreciate that very much, and just doing that, reaching out to your own state legislators, and it doesn't have to be rural. They can, you know, you can explain to uh, those in your in your states uh, and other states around that that maybe aren't in rural areas the importance of the rural education part. Yeah, rising tide raises all ships. There we go. You got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank you very time. much for having me on today. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, I, I, I love the wave of the wand. I hadn't thought about that as far as, um, you know, it, I would think most people would say I would, you know, teacher quality across the um, across the country. But if you actually educate our policymakers in D.C. about the needs, that has a more far-reaching effect on every facet of rural education. Well, the positive for me, I think the wand was great. He seems, <laughs> he seems well-grounded. And understands his district. Right. He understands the needs of rural America, and I think he listens. Yeah. And I, and I think right. with his answer on the wand, you could tell that what he what he what he's all about. Right. And, and it's it, he's just not pushing legislation that somebody's handed him or lobbyists has handed him. You know, this is something that he's passionate about, and and you know will actually feel in his own district. You know, which is probably. I think a lot. Of, we've got policymakers that that feel it in their district, but you know, road projects or building a bridge or something like that. This is something that um, he will he will feel in his district, but it will have a far-reaching effect across country. Well, and I think he understands the economic side of this. That if we have high-quality teachers and our schools are better, we're obviously going to help our local communities. Right, and that and that's a workforce development strategy exactly. in itself. So, exactly. Um, yeah, well. Um, you know, I like talking to a congressman that um, is is that down to earth and and uh, in between votes, literally uh, took the time to call us. So it's you know, and, an advocate. Like and that. as this as we're recording this, and I don't know if we give the date on the when we're recording, but I think uh, there's a lot going on in D.C. right now, 
And for him to take time to talk to us about rural education means a whole lot, and we really appreciate his efforts. Yeah, well, I think that shows important. I mentioned it earlier about the past election, the rural voice felt like it was heard. I mean, whatever your politics, either way, you had somewhat of an awakening in rural America, and there's been more focus on there for, you know, whatever reason. And um, I think that's been a good thing, and that's why I think this is one of the, the hot topics that's starting to come up in D.C. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a bipartisan Right. I mean, right. And, and we're not talking about one side of the aisle or the other, and we're not here to talk about the political game. We're here to help rural America. I love all people. I think we love I, all I show people. that by co-hosting this, this and podcast if they could see, you. If they could see the hat you got on right now, they know <laughs> that you love everyone. Well, I have and, a uh, very suave hat on right now. Yeah, it's suave. That's not the shampoo. It, it's great. Um, <laughs> it's, great. it's a great podcasting hat. <laughs> it's a caster hat. A caster hat, yes. Yes, that's what it is. We're casters now. So um, it's been good for us today. Yeah, thanks everyone uh, for listening. Thanks for listening and, uh, you know, keep checking us out. We're going to have some uh, more interesting folks on. And And, uh, uh, check out the website. Yep. Overhaul the website uh, is in the works. It starts, it started uh, January 1, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're working on that process now and um, hope to keep Dropping podcast. Oh man, we do, if y'all could see the visual right now. So, all right, we'll leave on that note on, on Pratt's. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's doing he's doing motions now. So it's time for us to sign off. And as your sound engineer, Dr. Christopher F. Silver, I'd like to let the listeners know that they can uh, hear us on. Pretty much all the major podcast uh, mediums, and we would also recommend you share share our episodes with others, as well as like and subscribe to um, uh, the series on whatever medium that you're listening to on them, and that helps build demand and gets the word out. Thank you, Chris. He uses radio voice. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we take rural education seriously, and that's why we need you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the engineer should never talk on a podcast. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission.
By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions. And while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.